before Keeve and I get to our recap of the comeback, let me tell you about a new series coming to CBS All Access. It's the sequel to The Good Wife. It's The Good Fight. The CBS All Access original series set in the world of The Good Wife. It's from Robert and Michelle King. They're back as the showrunners with Christine Baranski reprising her role as Diane Lockhart. Diane's at the end of her career, planning retirement, but she loses everything in a Ponzi scheme, and now she has to come back. Cash Jumbo is there. She's going to be back as Luca Quinn. She's finding her footing, joining a new law firm, not one with Jackie Childs. Rose Leslie is joining the cast as well. She's beginning her career as a lawyer when her father is accused of starting the Ponzi scheme that just ruined Diane. That's Christine Baranski. Many of the guest stars from The Good Wife are going to be back as well, including Carrie Preston, Gary Cole, and Matthew Perry, star of Friends, also part of Must See TV Thursday night, Once Upon a Time. So just like The Good Wife, The Good Fight will not shy away from controversial issues of the day. New episodes are going to be on CBS All Access starting on Sundays beginning February 19th. Start your free trial of CBS All Access by going to cbs.com slash goodfight. That's cbs.com slash goodfight. Seinfeld, the comeback is over. It has been for quite some time, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who are the new all-time top sellers from the jerk store. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here is Keith Winokur. Kiva, how are you? How's it going, Rob? Very excited for this. Uh, yeah, I guess you could have said, like, two guys who will never run out of shrimp. I was going to say, or two guys that will never have sex with your wife. <laughs> Barely even their own, yeah. Are you, are you a big shrimp guy? Love shrimp. Can't get enough you shrimp. Do. It looks like a weird food. Like, it looks like this fancy food, kind of, but you're eating it with your hands. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had some uh, jumbo shrimp at the Super Bowl party this year. At your own Super Bowl uh, party. My own Super Bowl party, yeah. <laughs> Great. Oh, you had pizza. Yeah. No, I wanted pizza and shrimp. What do you have, one thing? Shrimp goes with pizza? It I mean, you could get shrimp on a pizza. I have done that. I mean, you don't want like a huge shrimp on a pizza. You want sort of like smaller ones. I think if you're going to like cook them into a dish, but you know, shrimp cocktail and then pizza. I feel like if I stopped keeping kosher tomorrow, I would never even try shrimp. Uh, Well, more for me. What do you want? Okay. The ocean will not run out because of me. (laughs) So I am very excited to talk about this episode because that Akiva, I nitpick a lot of things on this show i mean really both of us do it's kind of our thing but i feel like that this is almost an episode with just about no loose ends in terms of like the plot everything really comes together like clockwork in this yeah it's really one of if you were going to give someone an example of like you know oh seinfeld's the show where they tie everything together at the end i do think this episode is number one in terms of of everything sort of connecting in some ways, like even more than like you would realize at face value. Yeah. And I feel like that the George storyline, I mean, he's kind of off on an island or maybe off on a shrimp boat uh, in this episode. His stuff doesn't really interact with the other stories other than to bounce ideas off of them. But the other three stories between Jerry, Elaine and Kramer are all really, really tied together very neatly. Yeah. And even when George doesn't interconnect, like the themes and, and the jokes sort of crossover between the storyline right he's off on his own island but he probably has the funniest stuff and then the other three stories they all really tie together extremely well 
Yeah. Also, we always critique the name. I think this episode has to be called The Jerk Store. The Jerk Store. Mm, does it tip off the joke? It, I'll tell you, I don't think it does because the joke is so early in the episode. I mean, it's like a minute in. Yeah, I don't have a huge problem with the comeback other than the confusion with the short-lived Lisa Kudrow series. Yeah, by the way, short-lived and revived. Short-lived and revived and even shorter-lived. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, well, I watched the first time around, then I watched the second time around. If you want to really get like meta, then uh, the comeback could also refer to like Jerry and Milos in the tennis game. Like and he's coming back before the, before, you know, the incident with Kramer. I assume that game stopped at that point, but like, Milos was probably up five love and Jerry was going to come back and win. Uh, well, if you really wanted to get meta, <laughs> it could refer to the woman from the other side of darkness who uh, was in a coma the whole film. And then at the end, she comes back. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's actually uh, that, <laughs> so you know, it works on so many levels, so many levels. I'm sure that none of them were, were considered by the show, but yeah. that's okay. Okay, well, excited to talk about all of this. Keith, how was your week? Is everything, everything going good at your house? Everything's great. You know, it's the really boring part of the year where there's no sports going on. And I, I wish I could hibernate in February and then just stay up the whole March. Do you have any hot takes on Charles Oakley? No, he's already unbanned from MSG. I mean, why would you want to go to like these games? I feel like, you know, I, being banned from Madison Square Garden is, is, best, <laughs> is basically best case scenario right now. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is very much like a Seinfeld plot, the whole saga of uh, Charles Oakley and Jim Dolan. Yeah, I do. Yeah, if Seinfeld was around in like 20, 2017, I do think Jim's, James Dolan could be the uh, the new Steinbrenner. I mean, yeah. he's probably weirder than Steinbrenner. We just don't know. Like, he's a little bit more of a recluse other than when he. But just like the idea that this like gazillionaire, by the way, a guy who's much richer than Steinbrenner, um, especially in 1996 when the Yankees were worth like 200 million. Now they're worth billions mm -hmm. um, who like makes his employees go to his concerts and then like buy slots on tour so he could you know, like lead in for like legitimate bands and then like, you know, pays these guys the tour full time with him, like legitimately good musicians. It's just like you couldn't script it. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. And Kramer could like get tickets for Charles Oakley. He's going to go into the game with him. So it would be uh, another episode that would write itself for modern Seinfeld. All right. So, Keith, we have so many different scenes in this episode. I say we uh, jump right into it unless you have any other old business to explore. No, I think you're right. We got to get to it. There's a lot going on. <laughs> this whole on here. podcast is old business. It's all talking about a show from 23 years ago. Right. Yeah. No, we got definitely have nothing new to discuss. <laughs> there, I, I guess I will say, speaking of new things that are Seinfeld related, yeah. there are rumors that Curb is coming back in September, but I, yeah, I, don't, I don't totally believe it yet. Fake news? I don't think fake news. I think it's premature news. I think a, a lot of the Curb news now is coming from one source and, uh, you know, it's not coming from HBO or Larry. And I think like if it's not coming from HBO or Larry, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. OK. All right. So we will see if we have updates as we go along. January 30th, 1997. Again, almost uh, 20 years to the day. I think we're getting really close to that magic point in time where we might be exactly 20 years from an episode. Oh, yeah. Well, that'll be an exciting day. We'll be able, we'll go around telling everyone and they will think we're even bigger losers. Now, when we did the money last week. That was because of the air order, even though the production schedule. So that doesn't going to. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think we screwed anything up. I think we're already spent too much time thinking about this. OK, all right. So <laughs> let's get into uh, the comeback written by Cavett and Robin. So what else have they done? Cavett and Robin? Yeah. Um, so going back, uh, they did at least Cavett did the Junior Mint, the Barber, the Jimmy, the Hot Tub, 
the caddy, the bottle deposit, the fatigues, the comeback, and then uh, one other credit for uh, the nap here in season eight, and then the slicer, the frogger, and then they're part of the Puerto Rican Day Spectacular. They are, um, they're also always a team. I wonder if they like, you know, were intentionally a team or they sort of got like, you know, mushed into being a team by, by the show. Okay. I don't know. They, they do arrange marriages in these writers' room? I, I probably not. But no, but sometimes it's like, you know, we have X number of episodes and we have a lot of writers, so you guys can't each write your own episodes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could become a writing team. Okay. So we start off with another meeting back at Yankee Stadium. And so I'm not exactly sure what they're talking about here, that somebody is talking about, uh, well, the big man wants a scoreboard. I don't want to be the one to tell him no. Riley says uh, no one in the park is going to be able to see it from there. Like, where are they talking about putting a scoreboard? I think it's one of the small scoreboards, like not the main one. But if it's, you know, you, you know, you, you go to like Shea and they'd have some, a lot of scoreboards that were like only visible from certain points in the stadium. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those, like a smaller scoreboard, but, you know, maybe like only people in Loge could see it. Okay. Well, George is eating the shrimp. He seems to be the only person in this meeting who's eating the shrimp. Now, well, what's the setup here? Do you think he brought his own shrimp from home or? I don't know. It's not like they're in a restaurant. It seems like an odd food for a meeting to have at Yankee Stadium. It can't be catered. They can't have like the shrimp guy cater the cater the meeting. Who's the shrimp guy? Listen, if you were a hustler, if you were a real entrepreneur, you'd and you were a shrimp guy. You had a shrimp store near, you know, in the Bronx near Yankee Stadium. The seafood store, sure. S- seafood store. There's no such thing as just the shrimp store. Yeah, I think it's unless you're Bubba from. Is that Forrest a little Gump. too specific? Okay. It's a little specific. It's a whole chain restaurant, Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. Although I'm yeah, sure they, they have things other than more that. things than just shrimp. Sure. So if you were a real hustler. You know, you're asking like Gary V for advice. Wouldn't he tell you like, go call up the Yankees and been like, you guys ever have a big meeting? You want my shrimp? I'll bring it to you free of charge. Just ask. Give me an hour's notice. That's probably what this was. This is like gritty shrimp. So if, you know, maybe next time they'll pay for it. Perhaps. Perhaps that's the case. So George eating the shrimp, talking about why don't they just put a monitor in uh, his skybox? Presumably we're talking about Steinbrenner. And then here's this guy, Riley, a real piece of work. He says, hey, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. Such a great joke. <laughs> now, everybody cracks up at this. Was Riley's joke funny in the first place? It's mean, but it's definitely funny. <laughs> I think I think it's very funny. Okay. Could you still use the blank called and they're running out of blank in 2017? Would that still work? Um. Well, no, because it's been co-opted by Seinfeld, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, you say it to a 20-year-old person other than Max the Millennial. They are not going to know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. You could then you could do it for sure. For yeah. Sure. You, yeah. You could say, you know, um, you know, hey, the uh, what would what, you have a good one? Do you have like a great insult? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll wait until my kids get older and then I'll use it on them. Tell them I like, wrote it. That, Sorry, that's Kevin, good. You could steal. Them. You could <laughs> you could steal like all all, you know, material that they never find out about. They won't know. Yeah. <laughs> so. We then see George driving in his car. He's very upset, and it comes to him. That's what I should have said. And so uh, we will find out later the comeback that he is so excited about. So we now go to the New York Health and Racquet Club. We'll see a lot of scenes here uh, where we're going to meet Milos, the tennis instructor, or at least the tennis pro. And George tells Jerry about the whole situation. And... 
He says uh, the ocean call, they're running out of shrimp. And then he says he thought of this amazing comeback, which is, well, the jerk store called and they're running out of you. Jerry says, oh, that's great. He seems very excited about the jerk store. Did you find it odd that Jerry, the comedian, was so excited in the moment about the jerk store called they're running out of you? I think it's less that that's a great joke and more that Jerry's impressed that George on the fly came up with a decent comeback. Okay. So you will even say that the jerk store called they're running out of you is a decent comeback. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Again, we have like history of, you know, 21 years of having heard this joke. <laughs> but the first time you heard it, I feel like you laughed. <laughs> yeah, but I think we laugh because it's so stupid. It is stupid, but, I, you know, it's hard on two, like one of the premises of this episode is like it's hard on two seconds notice to really come come up with a with a great line. I like today when I was doing the Chester podcast. I thought of something like the second we finish. What do you call it? The Jester podcast. Well, just to differentiate between the this one and that one. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was so annoyed that I like that I missed like a good line that it was like haunted me the rest of the day. So this really is something that happens to people all the time. So you want to give it to us here? No, it just it's so out of context. It? It's not. A, it's not. That I'm going to save it. It's so out of context, and it would take like five minutes to explain. So Jerry wanders over to the counter. We meet Milos. And Milos uh, is trying to upsell Jerry, who needs a can of tennis balls. Milos says, you can't just hit these tennis balls with that racket. He wants Jerry to use a new super-powered racket. Now, Jerry is using one of these tennis rackets that, like, John McEnroe was using in, like, 1982, Milos has more of the what do you what's the material that these tennis rackets are made out of? Oh, I think we had this conversation once. Yeah. Well, they're more of like the like they weigh like nothing. And yeah. it's like fiberglass. Is that what it is? Um, I think it's like they, they call it gut. So it's some sort of like animal string. But then maybe they don't use it anymore. Yeah. I know, I'm talking about the actual material that the like the frame is made out of. Oh, the frame, not the, not the string. Yeah. Who cares? Anyway, so Jerry has an old tennis racket. Milos talks him into buying the new $200 tennis racket. He upsells him. I mean, we have to ask right off the bat. There's no way Milos could have been the pro for more than like a week, right? I don't know. I think that he has a look. He sort of looks like uh, Steven Seagal at the height of his powers. Uh, How could he have gotten away with giving a single lesson or even just playing on his own? Oh, but I don't think he ever plays. I think that he is just like in that, you know, selling tennis stuff. Then then why is he playing behind Jerry when we, you know, we see Jerry getting ready? So from what I understand, there's a line of dialogue where they're talking about where Jerry and Elaine show up there and like, Hey, how come we're not playing at the club? And Oh, George used all my guest passes. The tennis court that they go to, I think is not supposed to be the tennis court at the pro club at the, okay. at the health club. So they went somewhere else. They happened to see him and he doesn't ever dare play tennis at the, uh, at the health club that he works at. Right. Right. Okay. This makes sense. So I think he just like sells tennis balls and sells rackets, but he can't actually play. Right. I guess you don't need to be qualified to sell the the racket. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Maybe like if I had like some sort of like a golf club business and then I don't know, not, know nothing about golf. It would be hard to answer the questions, though. Like it tennis would is be, a little bit more I simple. Think you could. I think you could like answer the, you know, uh, golf questions and, you know, have. I mean, I feel like that I could, uh, you know, sell baseball equipment. 
Well, that's, I mean, what, like, what's the hard part of that equipment? Like, there's no <laughs> difference between, like, a catcher's mitt and a regular mitt. Other than that, <laughs> like, with the golf, it's like, well, you know, I've been thinking about, like, switching from an 8-iron to a 7-iron. What do yeah. you, know, you have to, like... But if you were, like, dressed up like a caddy, though, I think that people would be like, oh, okay, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. Look, he's got, like, the whole caddy look happening. Think about, how, like, what percentage of people you know, like, regularly go golfing? Mm, I think no one. Isn't it weird that every single president is obsessed with golfing? Yeah. It's like everything about it. Trump, huge golfer. Obama, huge golfer. George W. Bush, huge golfer. Bill Clinton, huge golfer. I don't, I don't know past that. I don't know if George H.W. was a golfer. I assume he was. But like, that's not weird that all these guys from different parts of the country, like, I don't know. It just seems like, uh, like no one likes golf. Like, the next president is not going to be a golfer. The next eight presidents. I think it's just a thing to do. Well, especially for like wealthier people. But like, I, I, I think the, like, golf is definitely on the downswing. Like, less and less people is are that golfing. a pun? No, that's actually, I, it was an accident. But, I, like, first of all, Tiger Woods isn't even golfing anymore. <laughs> like, nobody's golfing. Yeah. Uh, you think that there would be a market for somebody to come out and say, the first president, no golf? You think Bernie was going to golf if he became president or Hillary? No. I, know, Bernie, I mean, do you know for a fact Bernie doesn't golf? Bernie doesn't golf. Let's, let's set the record straight. <laughs> How do you know? He might golf. He would be the world's worst golfer. <laughs> Why? He doesn't seem like a big sports guy, Bernie. Let me see. Is there any time that Bernie Sanders was ever golfing? I don't, I don't think he golfs. And I, I think nobody golfs anymore. Nobody golfs anymore. I think nobody something... under the age of 55. Golfs. Mm, yeah. See a picture of Bernie Sanders walking on grass. Does that count? Well, this is a funny story. Not to get too political here. Trump apparently had a comment a year ago that if Bernie Sanders is elected, there's going to be no more golf. He said that? Yeah. That can't be real. That's a real quote. No, it's real. Yeah, it's like all over. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's all over. Yeah, that's true. I mean, CBS Sports, uh, January 1st, 2016. Donald Trump warns that Bernie Sanders will take golf away if he's elected. Okay. Yeah. 90% taxes, no more golf. That's what he said. Anyway, <laughs> um, to, get out of, to get out of this political stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, it, uh, get us out of the weeds. Get your wedge. <laughs> but, and you're not a tennis guy, right? You don't, you don't play I know, tennis. I used to play tennis. I used to go and play tennis like on Saturdays. I was taking lessons for a couple of weeks and then uh, like, like for the better part of a year. And then yeah. uh, I had kids and then it was like, eh, like, you know, I that anything I did leaving the house, you know, my wife was like, oh, you're leaving. You're going to go play tennis. You know, saying, you know, it was too much emotional ammunition for her. It's I feel like it's worse than like if you were just going to the gym, she probably wouldn't have a big problem with it. But like tennis seems like right. more of a it's social exercise outing. combined with fun. Right. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh, you're doing something fun. Oh, well, how come I have to? Uh, it wasn't right. the aggravation. My problem is I stayed inside so much. Like I was such a big tennis player. And then like I would go and I would be so winded mm-hmm. from like never exercising that I became bad at tennis because like, you know, the first three games, I'd still be fine. But then I'd be huffing and puffing and like I almost died on the court. And I just I gave it up basically. After wow. That. No, I liked it. I like tennis. It is great. It is, everyone should everyone should get good at tennis. The it's problem is also time. with not having any friends. It's tough to like find convenient times. To right. What would go. you do? Like just go to some like Facebook group, like L.A. Tennis Buddies or you know, something? Well, I used to be in a sad. class and then I had one friend that I would go and play with, but he like kind of lived far away. So it was like really like kind of like, oh, well, I'm not going to go drive 25 minutes, 30 minutes, sit in traffic, go play tennis. Like if I had somebody that like if it was like, you know, convenient. OK, let me go and then I'll come back. But, you know, I, the three hours round trip was, uh, you know, a lot for tennis. Right. You, you, it's hard to find. I like it. To, like, I don't love it. Right. It's hard to find a tennis court like right by your house sometimes. Yeah. Maybe one of my kids will grow up and. Oh, that's not bad. Be, like you make your kids like. I mean, again, you should throw your kids into all sports. So you can become like one of these over the top insane 
supports parents and like go to games. Yeah, that's what I need. People. That's great. First of all, I mean, your wife will commit a homicide at one of these games. It'll be amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, they lock like, her up. Can you imagine if there was like a bad call against like your son in a baseball game? Yeah. She wouldn't tell me she wouldn't like body slam the umpire. Yeah. If she did time, um, <laughs> this is, well, this is a very interesting thing where, you know, maybe, maybe I could like frame her for a crime. <laughs> frame her? Why are you framing her? Wow. Although, no, 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 conjugal then, visit? Yeah. No, 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 no. Please. Please. When when she's here, uh, that uh, there's no conjugal visit. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back. We got so many, so much to talk about. Elaine is at the video store with Kramer. It, interestingly, like every time Elaine goes to the video store uh, in this episode, she's with Kramer. It's like yeah, I don't know why town, they're video store town. buddies. <laughs> so she goes to the video store. She loves Vincent picks. Vincent makes the best film picks of all these dramatic, romantic movies that are all tearjerkers the this is us of movie picks the max the millennials of the world must think this episode that's part of the episode at least is so dated mm. yeah is there like any a- equivalent of vince's picks there's no like you you can't really like share your netflix queue i think there is first of all spotify maybe you, you share your spotify yeah. with music certainly yeah oh but i i do have one i mean these don't really exist anymore but bookstores they still have especially independent bookstores will still have like their um like you know, their employees can like uh, put up, you know, their favorite books or something sometimes. Is that a real thing? Can you share your Netflix queue? Yeah. Oh, Netflix queue? You probably can. I'm sure they have a way to make it social. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like this is a missed opportunity if you can't. I mean, who would want to? That definitely shouldn't be the default. Oh, there's uh, some hipsters out there that can't wait to share their. Yeah, Netflix but I, I, I'm just queue. saying, like, no, like, I'm sure a lot of people. Chester won't. would share his Netflix queue. Um, I don't, I don't, Chester's not a big share. I don't think he, he likes sharing anything. <laughs> <laughs> i don't even think he lets i can see chester by the way like you know how like um you know some people like eight people are on their netflix account and they just mm-hmm. you know uh, they all share it. i can see chester like no they say it's only for one person like it makes his wife get her own account just so he's like no we're not allowed to share it or like not tell her the password to it <laughs> <laughs> he would sh- he like he wants her to see these things no, I could see. I could definitely see him like withholding the. I'm going to ask Chester for his Netflix account yeah. right after. We Maybe if they were like watching like, a show uh, together, so he she couldn't go ahead of him. No, nah, I don't know. She's she's watching Vanderpump Rules. He says. <laughs> okay. So, uh, meanwhile, Kramer loves the picks from the Gene Rack. Yeah, it's hard. You know, if you don't know the guys, also, it's like how do you how do you trust them without knowing them? Like, you know, Elaine doesn't know who Vincent is, and she does, they don't know who Gene is until later in the episode. Yeah, this is. The equivalent of basically like if you watch something on Netflix or on YouTube, like this is like the related video section. Uh, it is. But but, you know, it's also like there there's at least some sort of algorithm where it's like if you loved making a murder, you might like this true crime story. Mm-hmm. Whereas here it's just, you know, you're going off like a random anonymous person. <laughs> yeah, but he liked this film. And then also he liked this other film. So there is some sort of algorithm there. There's also like 50 movies in the store. It's such a small store for a video <laughs> store. Yeah. Okay. So Kramer is renting a film called The Other Side of Darkness. And <laughs> it was a direct-to-video. This is so bizarre, The Other Side of Darkness. It was a direct-to-video movie that's extremely long about a woman that's in a coma. Yet Kramer is obsessed with Gene's picks, which are all like Weekend at Bernie's too. How does he end up with The Other Side of Darkness? It doesn't make sense, right? Gene's picks are like comedies, but right. So why does why does he have this awful, like serious movie? I wonder if he rented that and then realized, like, you know, this is not 
like i don't know why i got this yeah maybe i shouldn't even watch it i'm not sure why he goes to gene it's almost like that the gene picks should have been all sold out and elaine is like oh trust me try one of these uh vincent picks you can't go wrong with a vincent pick and he tries out something that he's not used to it doesn't doesn't make any sense why he gets into such a heady movie yeah that's a good call okay Jerry and Kramer uh, are in Jerry's apartment talking. Kramer turned off the other side of darkness. He couldn't finish watching it. The woman goes into a coma. He does not want to be in the coma. No, he wants to do not resuscitate, basically. Yes, he needs a DNR. He wants to uh, create a living will. And he sort of like jots it down on a piece of paper and hands it to Jerry. Jerry says he doesn't think this is a legally binding document. Kramer offers to type it up. But Jerry says you need to talk to a lawyer. We find out that Jackie Childs has a restraining order on Kramer. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, we see Jackie again after this. But yeah, it's, you know, at this point, I, I think it is definitely better for Jackie. This is like the restraining order for the kids out there is like blocking somebody on Twitter, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's just good for your mental health not to see this anymore. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now Jerry ends up throwing out the old racket. He puts it in the garbage because he's got this new racket from Milosh. Uh, we'll come back to that racket in a little bit. So Elaine is in bed crying and the phone rings and it's Vincent. Vincent must put some sort of like chip in the VHS because he always knows when she's watching the movie. Yeah, that's interesting that he's able to know that. I guess he knows her patterns. Right. She probably watches a movie and like goes to sleep every night at 1030 or something. Yeah. Boy, Elaine is by herself watching a lot of VHS movies in this episode. Yeah, she's really, she's between boyfriends. She's having a tough time. Listen, she's willing to go out with a person she's never met that's ultimately a 15-year-old. Like, <laughs> this is thirsty, desperate Elaine right now. She's very desperate. So we go back to see Jerry and Elaine at tennis. Uh, that's when Elaine asks, hey, how come we're here? Jerry says George used up all of the guest passes. And so um, he's making fun of Elaine's screening process uh, that she is so into this guy, Vincent. Yeah, I also really like in the background of this scene, before you really like focus on Milos, he's being inept at tennis, like, you know, on like the far right side of the screen where like you only know if you're paying attention to it. Yeah. Okay. And Elaine notices this guy is terrible and we find out that it is indeed Milos uh, and he's embarrassed and he wants to uh, get out of there. I also, it, it is kind of funny because Milos is like, uh, I don't know, it's not such a common name. So it's very random that like there's a guy now, like one of the top five or six tennis players in the world is a Canadian dude named Milos. Like really, <laughs> what are the odds? Yeah. Well, how old is he? That would be crazy if he was named after. Um, he he's 20? young. Yeah. He's, yeah, I mean, he's older than the episode, but not okay. by much. All right. Um, we end up going then back to the apartment. And so Jerry is upset because he paid all of this money for this racket. And now he finds out that Milosh was terrible. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Jerry says he could have been playing with a lot. It's true, but that doesn't make the racket bad. Mm -hmm. right? it, yeah. It, like the, it, I don't, Jerry's a little bit too upset about this. Like, I understand that he like it was false advertising, but ultimately, who cares? Yeah, it's almost like that what should have happened was that the racket should have been like some sort of like thing that looked like a stop sign. It was like, oh, no, this is the new latest and greatest, like the shoes from Jimmy. Where right, like a ridiculous racket that was useless to him. Right. Yeah. This looks like a perfectly normal, great racket. Like, I don't think you could go wrong with this tennis racket. It's what tennis rackets still look like. So I don't think that Jerry got sold a bill of goods on this tennis racket. Uh, no, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So... Kramer comes in. He's wearing a suit. 
he wants to die with dignity. He's ready to go to the lawyer, Shellbach, uh, who is ends up being played by Ben Stein, and he needs uh, somebody to come with him. A what is it? An executor or a witness? Uh, yeah, I guess like an executor. Yeah. Okay. Executor is something totally different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have my legal terminology down. <laughs> the executor, I think, uh, ultimately will be the person who pulls the plug, right? Right. Here, I think it works both ways. Yes. You're the executor and the executor. <laughs> All right. So, uh, George comes in, and he is uh, very excited. He has another meeting with Riley. He's very excited about this because he has a chance to use his comeback line. And so... Jerry explains the whole thing about how that George was eating all this shrimp. And then the guy said, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. Everybody laughs. And George sets up the big comeback. Oh, yeah? Well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. Crickets. Yeah. (laughs) And then everybody is pitching him on new suggestions that nobody likes that one. Elaine tries out, hey, your cranium called. It's got some space to rent. Yeah, that's that. I mean, I don't even know if that's better than jerk store. <laughs> yeah, it's very that's okay. lateral move. Yeah. Now, Jerry says, hey, Riley, the zoo called. You're due back by six. I mean, it, it, that's funny. That is funny. I, I feel like, you, you know, it's hard to like you get in trouble now for calling a person an animal. I feel like especially he doesn't know who Riley is, you know, mm-hmm. it's, a little, it's a little it's a little risky. <laughs> okay. And George is getting very upset. He says, you're not helping me. Kramer says, no, here's what you do. You just tell him you had sex with his wife. It'll kill him. Um, yeah, no, Kramer's definitely right here. Except yeah. that it's a workplace. <laughs> yeah. And George is like, no, he doesn't want another line. And I love that Kramer goes back to it and says, no, George, just think about it. You know, you're married. How would you feel if somebody says to you they just had <laughs> sex? And he, and he gets really angry. And he ends up storming off. There's a very meta line here. He's very meta. This whole thing is meta where they're all pitching ideas in a writer's <laughs> yeah. room. He says, no, you see, this is why I hate writing with large groups. Everyone has their own little opinions and it all gets homogenized and you lose the whole edge of it. I'm going with jerk store. Jerk store is the line. Yeah. And I think in the inside, look, they say that season eight and nine, it was a little bit more of a group approach. They kind of had a writer's room. So this is this is like a joke just for them, basically. Yeah, I love this whole scene so much. To me, it's actually very reminiscent from when uh, these pretzels are making me thirsty. I think that we have sort of like this idea. One one of the one of the characters is throwing something out there. They're all like trying to do their own version of the line reading. And it's really, really a fun scene where people are getting very worked up about literally nothing in this case i mean george is like foaming at the mouth by the time he walks out of jerry's apartment i mean listen george has just been he's been owned right or pwned and he, mm-hmm. he needs to get it back so like that's all you could think of in in the meantime yeah just the whole thing is such a great scene jason alexander gets like a big round of applause when he ends up yeah. leaving in that moment and so yeah and by the, like we've opening. been doing this like so in depth do you realize like how rare that is it's pretty impressive yeah really fantastic scene All right, so then we turn back to Kramer and his whole saga. And so he looks and sees that Jerry has thrown the tennis racket in the garbage. And Kramer says, hey, isn't it that tennis racket that we put in the garbage? And Jerry says, well, he took it out. And Kramer said, see, 
you can't let go. How am I supposed to have you in charge of my living will? You can't say goodbye to anything. <laughs> uh, that really, I thought that was uh, very yeah, it's clever. It's a smart sort of like subtle joke. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it was just like, I did not see the setup coming uh, for that. Uh, we see Crane return to Elaine. She's a smart business person. She's uh, cold-hearted, calculating. When there's work to be done, she doesn't mind stomping a few throats. Uh, now Elaine is going to be Kramer's partner on this living will. I think it's a better decision, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so here's Ben Stein. I know I heard you talk about the Wonder Years recently on another podcast. Are you a big Ben Stein guy? I, I feel like he's a heel in life. Like, I'm not a big... I like to win Ben Stein's money, actually. Yeah. What's Ben Stein doing now? I mean, he's pretty old. Um, you know, I'm sure he gets an occasional guest spot role as like artist, teacher, or principal or something. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's got like a regular gig going. Mm, yeah. But I feel like he was like really hot for a while. He was, but I mean, he's not... I mean, that wonder... He was like a like a gray-haired teacher 25 years ago on The Wonder Years. Like, he's not a young man anymore. Yeah. He's got some weird politics, I think, also. Yeah, I mean, he had the Win Ben Stein's money. I mean, it used to be Win Ben Stein's money. Jimmy Kimmel was the sidekick on Win Ben Stein's money. Yeah, I think it was Kimmel and then Cousin Sal, maybe. Or maybe then Corolla, I don't remember. (laughs) What what is that, the pecking order of hosts for Win Ben Stein's money? No, I think that was just like when when Kimmel left, they still did the show. And I think with Cousin Sal for like another season or something. (laughs) Wow, I didn't even know that. I I believe so. Yeah. So here's Ben Stein making his uh, Seinfeld appearance. I did not recall Ben Stein being on Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, listen, I feel like he's on every show that lasts at least six seasons. <laughs> okay, so he shows up here and uh, that he is the person who is going through everything in the living will. And he's throwing out different situations. And Elaine is saying, you know, thumbs down. She doesn't like the sound of this one. Although at the end, I feel like it does take a little bit of a turn where they outline a scenario where, all right, you can eat, but machines do everything else. Elaine says stick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's only one scenario where they say um, where they say, you know, or there's two scenarios where they don't they don't pull the plug. Right. Right. Um, Well, they say going through the list. Okay, uh, they say you're breathing on your own. You're conscious. No muscular function. Can't communicate. Elaine says doesn't like the sound of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have hot takes on any of these. I don't know if yeah. you do. I just feel like that it's weird then at the last one to have Elaine say, eh, you know, I think that they probably should. And again, far be it from me. But I feel like that they should have ended still on one where Elaine is saying, pull the plug no matter what. Right. I whereas, think comedically. Yeah. 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 That they it's like that, you sprained your ankle, but, you know, you're not sure that it's ever going to get better. Right. Um, you'll be able to walk, but you might not be able to run again. Elaine's like, yeah. eh, like, uh, you know, what kind of life is that? Right. No, yeah, I agree. They they probably did it in the wrong order, but we're we're really nitpicking. <laughs> yes. Again, and we said we had nothing to nitpick. Okay, so we then go back to uh, the health club and Jerry is talking to Milos and uh, he's still upset about everything that's going on there. And so that Milos is saying that uh, he'll give the money, the money back. He'll give a free year of membership on the club. Jerry seems very excited about that part. And so it turns out he can't do it. He can't do the free membership on the club. Yeah, and maybe this leads to my theory that Milos got no power there. It's his second week on the job. Yeah, he has uh, very little power there. Uh, but there is a woman who we will find out later. I believe her name is Patty, 
and she is looking at some different shirts that are there. Jerry walks by, is very taken with her, says to her, uh, tennis anyone? Which, I don't know. That is that a good line? No, that is not a good line. <laughs> okay. Elaine's back at the video store with Kramer, and there is a new film that Elaine is looking at, The Pain and the Yearning. Uh, I mean, that just sounds like the worst name for any movie ever, right? Yeah, there's a lot of yearning. What is it, like 110 minutes? It's a long movie. Yeah, 110 minutes doesn't sound that long. Uh, I think it was 180 minutes or something like that. I mean, three three hours, like, I, I don't know. It's got to be really good to sit through a three-hour movie. Okay. So Kramer says, look, hey, Dr. Gene prescribes this. Weekend at Bernie's 2. Interesting that they go with a real film here and not a fake one. And there's been other times where characters watch real movies in Seinfeld. George was watching Home Alone. Uh, Elaine is going to have hot takes on the English patient. Uh, but I always thought it was weird that they went with Weekend at Bernie's 2. What what would they what you should they have chosen like sack lunch or something like that? that they, or a fake what, movie? Yeah, that they didn't go with like a wacky sounding fake movie. That they chose to go with the very specific weekend at Bernie's too. That's a good point. Yeah, why why like why do they mix the fake movie world with the real movie world? I'm not yeah. sure. Now, Weekend at Bernie's 2, widely considered to be one of the worst movies of all time. I've never seen Weekend at Bernie's one, so I'll just take your word for it. Yeah. Do you remember Weekend at Bernie's one? Yeah, no, I know all about it. Yeah. Um, I've probably seen like a clip from it. I, I just, you know, it, I just never, never got around to watching it. Yeah, I never saw Weekend at Bernie's 2, but Weekend at Bernie's 1 used to be on all the time on HBO. Uh, Kramer needs to finish the movie The Other Side of Darkness, so he's not going to get a new movie today. So Elaine is watching Weekend at Bernie's 2, and again, the microchip in the VHS tape goes off, and Vincent knows She's like, like, this is so stupid. He's dead. How is he dancing? That's what in Weekend at Bernie's 2, famously, there's like a voodoo curse that gets put on the dead body of Bernie. And when he hears music, he like begins to like get up and dance. Oh, it, like it, 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 you know, bends reality Weekend at Bernie's 2? Yeah, Weekend at Bernie's 1, he's just a dead body. He's like their boss. And then they have to, they're throwing like a big party at his house. They get invited to. So Weekend at Bernie's 2 is like a science fiction film. Weekend at Bernie's 2 was, Weekend at Bernie's 1 was a hit. And it's like, okay, well, the whole movie was about a dead guy, was about this dead guy, Bernie. So they needed some reason to, like, have this dead corpse around for another film. <laughs> so they ended up doing some sort of a voodoo curse on the body so that the body could, like, get up and, like, dance around in the second one. Why hasn't it been buried again in Weekend at Bernie's 2? I know. <laughs> I don't think I ever sat through it. I just know the premise of it. <laughs> I think that maybe they were like transporting the body and that's when the voodoo curse got put on it. Okay, fair enough. That makes Not exactly sense. Exactly sure. Uh also, uh the corpse of Bernie uh has intercourse with a woman in Weekend at Bernie's one. In 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 one, in the realistic one. <laughs> well, I don't okay. know how realistic it is. <laughs> maybe one of our medical correspondents can get back to us on that. So yeah, they don't even have to. <laughs> <laughs> email me about that okay so elaine is gets a call from vincent and uh vincent's very upset uh with this gene pick she says she's not even gonna rewind it right i mean vincent's gonna snitch on that um i what was the fine for rewinding back then like a dollar three dollars 50 cents a quarter I don't, I don't think they really threw the book at you there yeah it wasn't like but you know they they were very strict on late fees though mm -hmm. yeah it's a lot like the library you know, one time I accidentally returned like a blockbuster to a Hollywood or vice versa. Oh, my God. And, ne and never knew because like I there's nothing to return after that. 
And by the time they got around to calling me, it was like $100 or something. Mm. And I forget I forget what the outcome was. But $100? I mean, I think in the end, maybe they made us pick 20 bucks or they waited. Why they didn't send a bounty hunter after you? I know, I know. <laughs> Those movies were like, I once heard that like they spent like 60 bucks on each VHS. Yeah, I do feel like that they used to cost that much. Um, which is insane because then they'd like sell them like new for $20 at some point. Mm, eventually. But, you know, when they were hot, they were hot, Keith. Uh, I, the millennials are going to think this whole thing is like super outdated. Just the idea of like buying a <laughs> just the whole movie. idea of this weekly podcast recapping sure. a 25 year old sure. TV show. Yeah. Well, no, they have already they've already, you know, said no thanks to it. Don't worry about them. <laughs> <laughs> OK. All right. Then we end up going to see George at a meeting and he's very excited already to burn Riley. He's got a whole bunch of shrimp there. And uh, where's Riley? They tell him that Riley has left the company and we only wake you up for the important meetings. Now, I'm surprised that George doesn't try to work on a sick burn for this guy. It is it is weird because um, this is like a more personal burn, right? That like <laughs> you suck at work, whereas he's just making fun that you're eating a lot of shrimp, which is actually true. Um, what's weird also is like Kramer still has this movie that he took out from the store. So the timeline here can't be more than a couple of days unless Kramer is like getting this hundred dollar bill like I got. Yeah. So like Riley left the company and like re uh you know um you know moved all the way to Akron Ohio and started a job there where he's in like big meetings within the span of like four days. Okay, how about this? So Riley had already left the Yankees basically, you know, for he maybe he even put in his notice or mm -hmm. he didn't put in notice, but he had the other job lined up. He's moving to Akron no matter what, and he knows he's gonna quit the Yankees. So now. He doesn't care who he's pissing off and okay. he's just in there in fu mode and so george is has mouth filled with shrimp and he's just like uh hey costanza guess what the ocean called they're running out of shrimp yeah but then like okay so thursday he makes this joke and then like monday morning he's already like he didn't drive his stuff to to akron ohio like Moving he's relocating truck. yeah i mean you gotta you gotta like move it the, the movers don't just like drive you there you gotta get there Look, I don't know. when Goodyear calls and says, we want Riley, yeah. then you, you don't ask those questions, Keith. Yeah, they probably doubled his salary from the Yankees. You're right. They said, we'll fly all your stuff on the blimp out to Akron. Oh, that's true. They do have a blimp to bring stuff. <laughs> that's true. Okay. So uh, we see then this woman, Patty, who's on the street. And uh, that Jerry says to her, uh, hello. Did I meet you? She says, yeah, Milos gave me your address. And he says, do you want to get coffee? She says, why don't we go right up to your apartment? Yeah, very forward this, Patty. Yes. Now, Jerry, I do think uh, here, this woman does seem like she is a professional. And Jerry does very willingly invite her to the apartment. Like, he doesn't know. who. This why do you think is. she's a professional? Because Milos put her up to this? I think that she's a professional because he spots her somewhere. And she says to him, hey, why don't we just go up to your apartment? I think she's just really into him. So, like, she asked Milos, hey, where is he from? Milos is friends with her. Milos gave it, you know, found his address and gave it to her. So, random woman. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any prostitute, like, you know, sort of uh, connotation here or anything. Yeah. You don't think so? I don't think so. Okay. Well, look, when you ask her to go get coffee and she says, hey, why don't we just go to your apartment? Listen, do we, are we just at the point where we're so like, we're such losers that like anytime a woman says no to a guy, you're like, oh, she must be a prostitute. <laughs> well, 
that I, that's that's certainly not the case. I'm I'm saying that when <laughs> when a guy says, "Hey, can I take you out?" and she says, "No, I just want to go. Let's just go to your apartment." That's what the kids do nowadays. That's like with Tinder and everything. That's what's happening. <laughs> She's no refusing coffee. the date. Yeah, refuse the date. <laughs> She's saying, "Let's just go get down to business." So, <laughs> then at the very least, I think that Jerry should be worried he's going to get robbed, like like George did in yeah, the he's hotel, get handcuffed to the bed. Yeah, it's possible. Okay, uh, Kramer is in his apartment. He's watching the rest of the film, and we see at the end of uh, Out of the Darkness, she ends up coming out of the coma. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, it took Kramer so many days to watch this movie that, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. And she does make the coma sound very enticing. She says, boy, I'm so rested and refreshed. <laughs> and she's speaking clearly within seconds of coming out of the coma. Yeah. So they really do make the coma sound pretty good. So Jerry is with Patty. Patty says she can't go through with this. Uh, she just can't do it for Milosh. And Jerry's like, excuse me, what? Um, Milosh put her up to going to Jerry's apartment. I mean, she'll do anything for me. I Patty has, this has to be a secret that Patty has known for a long time, right? Does Patty know that Milos is terrible at tennis? Um, I don't know because then Milos beats Jerry. Right. In she has to assume like, has she never seen him play tennis before? He's a professional tennis pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he sells the tennis stuff, but maybe he's like sort of just always makes up excuses. I guess. Yeah. He plays when she's not around only. That's why he yeah. plays at the other club. Okay. And she's very into tennis. Yeah. But if she's into tennis would, and he's a tennis pro, like they've never played once. It, it just seems so unlikely. Maybe he's like, oh, I'll beat you so badly that, yeah. you know, it'll yeah. be so embarrassing. You know, I couldn't. Right. I it would be like if you woman. podcasted for fun, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the same thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Milos is Patty's husband. So Jerry is now telling George uh, the whole story. Milos was so concerned about the tennis game being exposed that he chose to offer his wife as some sort of medieval sexual payola. <laughs> yeah, we could. By the way, we could do the podcast. If anyone's ever like complaining, we'd be like, shh, don't say anything. <laughs> yes. Don't yes. tell anyone I made a bad podcast. Yes. Um, I don't think my wife would, would really go for that. Um, the, the, it is an amazing idea though. Like, like in the episode, like George's mind is blown and like, she really has to like her husband. Like, I wish I could have some sort of like, uh, you know, someone who has my back like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there is this weird sort of relationship in this triangle, the Jerry, Patty, Milos relationship of sort of like the cuckolding type situation of that, that Jerry gets to, have sex with Milos's wife to prove his dominance over Milos to not expose the secret that he has. But then Milos needs to then humiliate Jerry on the tennis court to then regain acceptance from his wife, even going to the whole jerk store situation at the end of the episode. What does Kramer say is the most humiliating thing you could say to another person in public is, I have had sex with your wife. There's nothing worse <laughs> that you can say. So it is weird that there's this underlying theme to this entire episode. Oh, so this episode could have been called like the cuck or something. <laughs> it could have. <laughs> it's prescient, this episode. It's ahead of its time. It's ahead of its time. But there is that dynamic in play. Uh, no, it is a good point. That's pretty funny. <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, George is saying he would have slept with Patty again. I don't think that that offer was really ever on the table. Right. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, unless you really like had a sort of like, you know, second feelings Epiphany. on her, like, yeah, like on her third, you know, like unless she went back and forth. I don't think so. I don't think Jerry had the option. This is more of like a bro telling a story to his other bro. Like mm-hmm. I could have man, but I didn't. Yeah. And George says, why? Because of society? (laughs) Yeah, it's a great line. It's such a great line. (laughs) Not really. Okay. So uh, then we switch gears into talking about the big meeting and that George explains Riley wasn't there. And Jerry says, oh, well, I guess it's for the best because you never really had the right comeback. George, again, very offended to say that Jerk Store was not the right comeback. Yeah. I mean, I guess people are more down on the Jerk Store at this point in the episode. Very down on it. And so Kramer has seen the end of the other side of darkness. The lady wakes up from the coma. And uh, I like that George is getting very upset that he gets spoiled on the movie. This is insane because this is clearly a straight to DVD or straight to video movie. Why would George have ever planned on watching this awful, like weird movie? I also it's a very love, strange comment. <laughs> he gets so upset. And then he wants to know how was Eric Roberts as the husband? So Eric <laughs> Roberts is making direct to DVD yeah. direct to video movies in 1997. <laughs> and Kramer's is unforgettable. <laughs> yeah. So Kramer didn't know it was possible to come out of the coma. Jerry says he didn't know it was possible not to know that. <laughs> right. It's a good point. Okay. Yeah, I mean, as people point out in the email, like there's definitely reasons why Kramer should have known this from an earlier episode. <laughs> so we go back to the video store, and uh, Elaine is goes and sees the Vincent picks. They're all the film betrayed. Uh, yeah. Who knew they had so many copies of this one movie? Yeah. Is this an actual movie? I'm sure there's a movie called Betrayed. Okay. All right. And then after that, again, amazing timing. Uh. The manager of the video store takes down the sign for Vincent Picks. Uh, Vincent is not making picks anymore. And so Vincent, these guys must make picks every day because like he's had a few sets of picks and then he puts up Betrayed and now he's taking down Betrayed because Vincent doesn't want his picks up anymore. It's like this is all within the course of like three days. He's really gone back and forth this Vincent. Yeah. And Kramer is there. He wants to tell Elaine about that. He doesn't want to have the life support taken away if he goes into the coma and he suggests that Elaine takes one of the gene picks. Uh, that's the way that she should go. Uh, try a gene pick. And then Elaine says, no, she's not going to go with a gene pick. Gene's trash. <laughs> and the manager that they're talking with turns out that he is Gene. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, we go back to the racket club and uh, Milosh is saying to Jerry, again, Milosh isn't like, oh, you know what? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Jerry, for not having sex with my wife when I sent her to go and do that. You're <laughs> such a great guy. Now, Milosh is back to asking for more favors. Milosh is truly one of the worst people we see throughout the course of the series. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the actor who plays Milosh, his name is Mark Aralik. On his Twitter, he lists um, Milosh as the second thing on his Twitter. Yeah. What is the first role he lists? Oh, you expect me to know? Uh, well, it... there's a reason why I expect you to know. Hmm. Uh, no idea. 
because he's Devore Inspector Kashik on Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know Star Trek Voyager particularly well. So oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. So, again, Jerry's saying, like, I didn't have any intention to tell anybody about your bad tennis playing. And he said, but he has bigger problems now. His wife has no respect for Milos anymore. Yeah, so she clearly must not have known that he was a bad tennis player till right now. Yeah, so hold on. Why did Patty lose respect for Milos? Was it because she found out that Milos is a bad tennis player or because Milos asked her to go to Jerry's house and seduce and have sex with a complete stranger? To not no, expose it's, just that he's bad at, it's just that he's bad at tennis. That's so, what she doesn't respect. The whole part about potentially having sex with and maybe blackmailing a stranger, that's fine. That's fine. It's just that I can't I can't be with someone who uh, who's bad at tennis. Yeah. Uh, Jerry has a funny line where he says, I guess that's a risk when you dabble in the flesh trade. (laughs) (laughs) I guess maybe that would that would lead you to believe like maybe, you know, the prostitute things back on the table. Yeah. So what Milos needs is that he needs to beat Jerry in a tennis match. Yeah. You got to throw one for me. Okay. That's the only way that Patty can go back to respecting Milos. Okay. So Jerry and Elaine are sitting at Monk's. And so they're talking about Vincent and how upset he is. He sent the play button from his VCR to Elaine. Yeah, that's a crazy thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So George walks in. He has found Riley and a little bit of a correction. Riley works at Firestone, not Goodyear, as we had previously reported. Sorry, No blimp. Forget it. He can't bring stuff (laughs) to the blimp. He can't bring the blimp. Okay. So... George is going to fly to Akron to go and zing Riley. And Jerry doesn't understand why he's doing that. He says, don't you understand? It's not about him. To have a line as perfect as Jerk Store and never get to use it, he couldn't live with himself. Yeah, no, there's there's really no way back. By the way, with the Akron, um, like Firestone Goodyear thing, I feel like that's a question like every Seinfeld trivia contest. Yes. Of where, whoever whoever puts the Rob versus Akiva Seinfeld trivia question together, like make sure that's on the test. What at what company does Riley go and yeah, work at? Yeah, like yeah. What company did Riley leave the Yankees to work for? <laughs> Good question. So Elaine tries to help George out. She says, "You see, George, it's confusing that there are no jerk stores. It's just a little confusing." And he says, "No, it's smart. It's a smart line, and a smart crowd will appreciate it. And I'm not going to dumb it down." For some bonehead mass audience. Keith, this seems like a very meta thing for George to be saying. Yeah, the whole jerk store thing is meta. It's it's all, you know, we're not dumbing down. It's all it's the exact way a comedian would talk. Okay, so help me understand this. So that is this some sort of story that were the Seinfeld writers want us to sort of take this fable and learn something from? Like, are they George in this story? Yeah, they're the George in this story. But maybe Jerry is the ultimate George, but I think they're the George because this is something a comedian would really say also. Right. Like, I don't care if that joke didn't work. It's so smart. I'll do it for the two percent. Are they making fun of a comedian that has bad material, but is like talking themselves into that the material is so good and that you have to be smart to get it? Yeah. Oh, I've seen stand up comedians like do jokes, bomb and be like, oh, that was for the one percent or something like that a million times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the joke was so good. You guys are just too stupid. To and it's it. never like a great comedian. It's usually like the B level comedians who do. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like even if you love a joke, if it doesn't work eventually, I think you have to stop doing it. Yeah. All right. Elaine, again, back home in bed, watching movies, phone rings. It's Vincent and uh, that she needs to see him. And Vincent says he can't bear to have anyone see him. 
Uh, Elaine says that you're strange and beautiful and sensitive. Uh, now let's have a look at you. And Vincent needs her to grab a couple things from the store. Yeah, he hasn't been out in a while, which doesn't make a lot of sense because I guess there's, you know, ultimately implying that he's grounded, but he was just yeah. at the store a couple days ago to put the betrayeds up, right? Right. Uh, there's a little bit of like a, what is it, Phantom at the Opera? I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't know. Oh, I thought you were the literary expert. What would you say? Is this more like a, uh, I'm trying to think of where the guy has to hide his face. I guess, you know, we had the Cyrano thing recently. I don't know what the right piece of literature is to uh, make the allusion to. It could be Phantom at the Opera. I mean, I'm I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, I don't know for sure. Uh, so we see Kramer in his car driving very carefully. It looks like he has oven mitts on. Why? That he's like his hands are covered. He's like why uh, would he? Why would he have? I'm just saying. Like, why well, I didn't notice, but why is the reason? Because he's driving no. so slow. He's like doing everything in his power to not die. Not die. Okay, he doesn't want to die. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and so he's driving very slow. Uh, we find out that Kramer had a 10:30 appointment with Ben Stein, and he got there at like two o'clock. He was driving so slow. Yeah. <laughs> He's gone for the day. He went to go play tennis. All right. Uh, meanwhile, we go to see at the tennis club, Jerry versus Milos in the big battle. Keith, did you watch the inside look on this? I've seen it. Yeah. They had a whole big like uh, near-death experience for the crew of Seinfeld where they had to end up playing tennis at an indoor facility in the script. And apparently there is no place where you can go play indoor tennis in Los Angeles. So they had to like build like a tent over a outdoor tennis court. And there was like this huge El Nino storm, which really wreaked havoc on the crew. It's yeah. And you could see the puddles in the, in the background, but it's really insane that there's nowhere to play indoors. Like, I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, on Long Island and like, there were so many indoor tennis places, but obviously you can't play outdoors in the winter. So Mm. it never occurred to me, but there's not one place to play indoors. Couldn't rent some rich guy's house. I'm sure someone has an indoor tennis court. Um, I guess maybe not on short notice. Uh, I don't know. Interesting. Okay. So Jerry versus Milos and Jerry doesn't mind losing to Milos, but Milos uh, wants to do the trash talking. Yeah. What an arrogant, like he, he has to know there's going to backfire on him. Yes. Uh, Milos, uh, his trash talking is a little odd, uh, that at one point he says, uh, He's not a man, this Jerry. He's not even married like I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He says, uh, hey, everybody, look, the little chicken girl wants me to ease up. He can't handle this, so he cries like a woman. A little bit of a misogynist, the Milos. Oh, no? yeah. I mean, yeah. That, is that your biggest problem with Milos, that he's a misogynist? Mm, what? And that he uh, <laughs> sends his wife out in the sex trade? <laughs> to do his bidding, sure. <laughs> it's up there. Yeah, it's that, he, that he says someone cries like a woman. I guess that's the worst thing you could say about Milos. Not a good look, Milos. Okay. No, not nothing really redeeming about Milos. Yeah, you know, I, I would say that he looks like a uh, young Steven Seagal. That's probably the best you could say about it. Oh, him. yeah, his, his appearance, I guess. That's the most redeeming thing about it. Yeah. Okay, so we see Elaine at a door. She has a paper bag filled with stuff. Uh, it's Vincent's house. Um, that She has reported that she got what Vincent asked for. Uh, she wants to come in. He's trying to get rid of Elaine. She says, Vincent, no, don't shut me out. I know uh, you know how I feel. And then a woman comes up and she says that she is Vincent's mom. Uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, how did this work out? Did Vincent say come over like right now? Uh, that's how did interesting. this go so poorly? Yeah. I mean, I don't know necessarily how long it took Elaine to get uh, vodka, cigarettes and fireworks. <laughs> right. Maybe it took her the whole day. To get over there, <laughs> maybe she took a shower first. 
<laughs> anyway, so uh, the door gets pushed open. Vincent shrieks, uh, my acne, and runs away. And so Elaine, very embarrassed uh, to be face-to-face with Vincent's mom. And she says, uh, hey, what do you have there? I do feel like on Seinfeld, there's a lot of people just rummaging through another person's bag right in front of them. Oh, sure. Yeah, that, that's a normal thing. And also, how did she know that the VCR, like, do you have the piece of the VCR? Like, mm-hmm. did she say what happened to it? And he said, I sent it to a girl I like. That had to have happened because she doesn't know Elaine exists. Right. I think that she probably was like, hey, where is the play button on our VCR? And he's like, I said, it was Elaine, you don't know who she is. We're in love. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she goes through the bag and uh, she says, hey, what's in there? Uh, and it is uh, vodka, cigarettes and fireworks. Again, uh, <laughs> Vincent, that little effort. What does he need fireworks for? Yeah, especially it sounds like he's grounded. He's never using these fireworks. Yeah. In, in January, no less. Yeah, you want to come, Jason Pierre Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we go back to Jerry versus Milos, and uh, Jerry's getting a little agitated uh, now that Milos has gone from just blatant humiliation to calling Jerry out for uh, urinating himself. Uh, Milos says, Look at the big baby. Are you wetting yourself? Maybe you need to be changed. <laughs> yeah, he's got to work on his insults after he finishes working on his tennis game. Yeah, and so Jerry ends up telling Milos, cut it out. He doesn't listen. So now Jerry is going to start to really turn it on versus Milos. Uh, yeah, he's going to, I mean, I don't know what the score is at this point, but Milos is so bad, you could come back from any sort of deficit. You can come back. All right, so Kramer makes his way to the tennis court, and so he's waving to Shellback, the lawyer, and so uh, he waves back to Kramer. So... What happens is, like, Jerry has a pretty killer serve, hits it back to Milos, who, like, throws his racket, which knocks into a guy that has the ball machine, which then ends up going haywire and then hitting Kramer repeatedly numerous times in the head. Yeah, until he's out cold. Yeah. Now, Keeves, did you used to watch the American Gladiators? I've seen it. Yeah, they used to have, like, the uh, tennis ball shooting gun I mean, could that concuss somebody getting uh, hit in the forehead with tennis balls? I don't think so. You'd have to, like, be hit by so many, maybe trip over it and then hit the floor. Yeah. It is funny that they get, like, three headshots in a row identically on Kramer. And also, like, it doesn't, the the actual ones seem to go faster than the one in the episode. Like, the one in the episode isn't going fast enough to really hurt Kramer. It's a very funny moment when Kramer gets hit, like, repeatedly three times right in the forehead. Yeah, it's great. Okay. So we now go to Firestone. And here's George at the meeting with Riley. And uh, boy, again, George bringing his own shrimp. What does he do? He gets, he's staying in a hotel. He comes out, goes to some sort of seafood store. Yeah. Brings the (laughs) whole platter. uh, Yeah. Asks like the, uh, you know, the manager at the hotel, where's the finest shrimp you can find in Akron, Ohio at at noon? Mm -hmm. So George is pitching this uh, big idea where we are having Yankee snow tire day. I mean, that's a big it's like they used to give out like big things like bats. And they, mm-hmm. I remember like everyone was nervous that they like hit each other with the bats. But the snow tire, it would have to be like a coupon for a snow tire, right? <laughs> you would think so. And so the boss at Firestone is like, I got to say, this proposal doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And uh, he says, oh, you never know. And he's like putting a bunch of shrimp into his mouth. And then Riley comes and got a new audience. He's going to do this old material. The ocean called. 
They are running out of shrimp. And George looks so happy and pleased with himself. Stands up. Yeah. <laughs> well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. And that also gets crickets in the room. Mm-hmm. And Riley has a on-the-fly retort and says, what's the difference? You're their all-time bestseller. Yeah, which gets left. Yeah. How's that for a line? Is that good? I mean, it's like a very quick, like, nothing comeback, but it's fine. It deflects it back. The bull's now back in the other guy's court. It is very cool. Yes. And again, wow, this is like a tennis match. I mean, this this episode works on so many levels. Yes. Yeah. Riley is, is Roger Federer. Yeah, he doesn't uh, throw his racket like Milos or anything like that. But it is odd that if somebody in casual conversation said to you, oh, yeah, well, the jerk store called and they're running out of you. And to respond to that like it's a normal sentence, I feel like it's really like, wait, what? (laughs) Listen, (laughs) Riley's very fast on his feet. Why do you think the Firestone Tire Company like moved hell and earth, you know, to heaven and earth to like, uh, you know, get. Get him there by Monday when he was working for the Yankees three days. <laughs> an amazing improviser. There's a great improv troupe in Akron. Yeah. George, very flustered. He says, yeah, well, I had sex with your wife. He doesn't even know the wife's married. The only problem with the, with the line, he doesn't even know if he's married, right? He could say like, oh, I'm single. What are you talking about? Maybe he saw he has a wedding ring. I don't know. Yeah. But George, now that gets no response. It's Riley's what? First day, second day on the job. I guess everybody yeah. knows about the wife in a coma. Uh, the boss says, well, uh, you know, George, his wife is in a coma. Now, could George have had sex with uh, Riley's wife pre-coma? Yeah, I think George's response here is like, I know. What do you think put her there? Ouch. I think that's a good response. I think that's what you got to say. Yeah. At that point, mm. you're stuck in like, a, you know, you got to double down on the coma. You got to double down. Okay. And uh, that's it. That's it for George uh, here in Akron. We go back to Kramer's hospital room. And so Elaine is coming to visit. She's brought the VCR and she wants to know how he's doing. Jerry says he's been a little groggy. And so Elaine got him one of the gene picks. And uh, Jerry asks what happened to Vincent. Elaine doesn't want to talk about it, uh, obviously, for good reason. And so she needs an outlet to plug in the VCR. Now, Elaine does just pull something out of the wall willy nilly. Yeah, I feel like you don't do that in a hospital. Although recently I did do that in a hospital and it, it went fine. <laughs> I guess you like like buzzers would go off. It was something important. Yeah, I really needed to charge my computer. And uh, like I was sitting there, I needed to put something in. Yeah, there's not a lot of outlets that are available to just plug stuff in in the hospital rooms. Yeah, definitely. It's a big problem with hospitals. Need more outlets. Yeah. And so... Then Elaine is going to plug in the VCR. Does she have a TV also? Yeah, I don't know how she just brought her VCR. It's a little weird, right? It is a little odd to just have a VCR, not even like one of these combo units. Right. I, I think that's all, like they don't I don't even know if like they, I guess the story in 97. They probably existed, but they didn't exist probably at the beginning of the series. So then Kramer looks up, sees Elaine standing over him with a plug and starts screaming. Yeah, magically came out of the coma at the exact right second. Yeah. Well, again, Kramer wasn't in a coma. I think that they just said he was right. But whatever. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't up until. uh... Yeah. And then at the end of the episode, we end up with George just like muttering to himself. My wife's in a coma. And then he sort of like Eureka. He's got it. That's what I should have said. And he turns around, headed back to Akron, seemingly. Yeah, I think if we ever get Jason Alexander on, this has to be our first question. Yeah. What's the line that you were going to say? What is the line? Now, is that a question for Jason Alexander? Does the actor know it? Or do we need to talk to the writers? And we could talk to Cavett and Robin. Yeah. What do you think the line was? 
I mean, I already said it. I think you have to go double down and say, like, I put your wife in the coma. Yeah. Hmm. My wife's in a coma. You could, or you could say, like, oh, yeah, you're so boring. She's, like, not really in a coma. She's just pretending. Now, it's interesting that George is upset, seemingly, with Riley. My wife is in a coma, as if that that was the response that Riley made. It's Riley's boss that says his wife is in a coma. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. It's a little bit of a trickier comeback. It'd be one thing if Riley was like, oh, yeah, what do you know? My wife is in right. a coma. Right. Riley hasn't said anything. The boss, McAdams, said something. Yeah. And then George could have said something like, uh, well, do you know there's a 99% uh, loss of brain function? You know, I don't know what he would have, you know, yeah. say, say yeah. if he's getting like a rank out about that. Yeah, it's tough. But uh, maybe I'll ask Kevin or Robin if they're on Twitter what, the, what the comeback should be. Anyway, Keeve, uh, such fun here in the comeback. Yeah, what a delight. What a delight to talk about. All right, Keeve, let's grade this out. Let's start with uh, George and the comeback story. I mean, obviously. Obviously. Maybe even an A+. Plus. I mean, Yeah, I, I don't know. Do we, do we give A pluses? I don't know what, can, what kind sure. of curve we're on. Sure, A+. Plus. Sure. Okay. Then let's go ahead and discuss the saga of Jerry and Milos. I think it has to be an A. I think Milos is just a delight and... It ties everything together. And just the idea of like this tennis player who's horrible at tennis is really funny. Mm-hmm. We could have yes. even got more out of them. It would have been great. But but we definitely got enough. It's awesome. Hey. Yeah. I'll say, uh, what would you say, a straight A? I'm giving it a straight A. Okay. I'll say it's more of an A minus. It's, uh, it's not as strong as the George, but I think it's still great. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about Elaine and Vincent? Yeah, I think that's an A minus. It's really funny. Like the reveal. There's a lot of like big reveals in this episode. The reveal that he's a teenager uh, is funny. Um, there's nothing amazing this episode, like from the Elaine standpoint, but there's also nothing bad. So definitely a minus. Okay. All right. Uh, and then finally, uh, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, and then Kramer with, uh, his story of not wanting to go into the coma. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Honestly, the scene with Kramer and Elaine is really great, uh, with Shellback or Ben Stein. Uh, just the idea that Kramer finds out is pretty funny. And then he ends up in the thing. And then Elaine pulling the plug. I'll give Kramer an A minus. He doesn't have like that many scenes in the episode, but good job. So A minus. Yeah, uh, I think I might even say it's an A. I, I don't know what necessarily yeah. we're going to improve. Upon I'm just here. comparing it. I'm grading on a curve compared to the George and the Jerry. Yeah, great episode all around. All right, Keith. In a weaker episode, the the Kramer stuff would be the standout A. Like all four of these could be the best sort of uh, storyline. Keith, this doesn't crack the top nine, does it? Uh, as a matter of fact, it does. Wow. Top nine for the comeback. Snuck up on have, me. I didn't think this was a top nine episode going in, but yeah, then I didn't I, realize how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. A lot of people would probably not have in their top 10. Maybe like the consensus would be a top 20 or top 30. But mm. to me, there's just not a lot of flaws in this episode. It it has consistency and an iconic moment with like the whole jerk store thing with the I had sex with your wife thing. Um, To me, like it's a no brainer. This is definitely a top nine episode. And that means there's only one spot left in the top nine. Mm, okay wow only one top nine episode left to go plenty of top 20 and 20 and 25 episodes but only one in the top nine okay all right well we will follow the ongoing saga keeve you ready to dive into the seinfeld post show recap mailbag let's do it okay these emails come to us seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com every week could you tell us what sean falconer was up to yeah falconer last week he was sort of uh he was negging us he was negging yeah. us. See, I thought that, he, that I felt bad. I thought that we offended him by talking. Yes. About, he did a lot of hard work. And he then did. we were like, uh, we well, great. Off, thanks probably. for 
Thanks for showing people how bad we are at podcasting. And yeah, we do and the only on thing was, I we I don't think either of us took one ounce of offense. I even emailed no, and told him that. Not. I just think it was like hard to. It wasn't like the most fascinating podcasting to go over his last week's chart, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't spend a ton of time on it, but I he gave us something good this week. He searched any time we'd said hot take. Oh, um, and he or or whatever he you know he used his computer magic mojo to um to like find some hot takes i guess by searching hot takes um from like previous episodes and i just uh, highlighted a few of them that he caught that i thought were funny uh from the first 140 episodes of the okay, series great almost 150 were up to um so he said in the marine biologist alex chester said that the apollo moon landings were fake and filmed in a basement in hollywood now, was he saying that to be funny or is that a real belief he has? So he said before that, I'm going to come on and say hot, a bunch of hot takes. You remember, it was a, it was his one appearance on the show. It was wildly <laughs> unpopular. Uh, he managed to alienate a lot of people in uh, in like 15, 20 minutes. What, by the way, what's funny is, are, are you an Alex Jones guy? You know about Alex Jones? I know who he is. Yes. So Alex Jones went on Joe Rogan's podcast last week. Okay. And uh, Alex Jones, of course, is like the most famous conspiracy theorist on Earth. Joe Rogan happens to believe some conspiracy theories, but I think was skeptical of of Alex Jones. However, Joe Rogan believes that the moon landing was fake, and that's like one of his major talking points always. Mm. And for whatever reason, Alex Jones, like that's the only conspiracy theory on Earth he does not believe. Yeah. So like Alex Jones is trying to convince Joe Rogan that like, no, 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 the, the moon landing is like the one that was real. Everything else is fake. Are you a big Joe Rogan podcast guy? No, I, I no, no. Other people. Uh, you just follow. You're an Alex Jones completist. <laughs> yeah, just the complete. If, if Jones is there, no, I, I didn't even know what his voice sounded like. Honestly, to look like it. it was just like such a big deal. It had like millions of views on YouTube within the first, you know, like day the podcast was posted. I think they did a lot of drugs right before they aired. I think they say that. I didn't watch the whole thing. I was just flipping around for a minute. What Alex Jones also is a public uh, drug user. I mean, like, what's he going to do? Does he have, like, a bunch of sponsors that, like, really want him to be on his best behavior? I think he has He's Alex Jones. White House press I'm sure he has sponsors, yeah. but, like, they know what they're dealing with. If you're getting the Alex Jones business, you know, you got to deal with, he's not, he's not like, it's not like Walmart and Target, probably. Oh, you know? okay. You're sound, saying, like, this is a must-listen. I mean, it's, like, four hours, so I don't think it's a must-listen. <laughs> okay. Maybe we, get, maybe we get someone to, like, you know, edit it, you know, to sort of, like, tell us what the good parts are. And then um, is that our Joe Rogan correspondent or our Alex Jones correspondent? Oh, okay. Well, they can let us know what what sort of side of the coin they're like the coin they're coming from. If you're a Rogan guy or are you a Jones guy? Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think won the won the argument? Keep us posted. Um, uh, in the couch, I I say that we're living in the hot take era. Uh, it probably started with the birth of Twitter, and now the period that we're living in the time period will will be known for hot takes hmm. more than anything else. Like Bernie Sanders is going to outlaw golf, right? Um, I also said in the the couch episode podcast that Twitter will not exist by the time the podcast is over. Yeah. I feel like you say that a lot. I do say that a lot, but listen, let me ask you a question, Rob. If who joins Twitter in 2017? Mm, Nobody. Nobody. Millennials don't join. Celebrities are either on it or not interested. Right? Yeah. Nobody's joining Twitter, but sometimes I'll see like an account that has 15,000 followers. Like, oh, I, you know, that guy went to high school with him or whatever. Like, and they haven't tweeted in five years. Right. So nobody's joining, but people are leaving or stopping or nobody likes it anymore. Everyone hates it. Everyone is on Twitter. It's like completely essential and everyone hates it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I would be devastated if it closed down, but also there's no reason why it still exists. 
Yeah, I forget uh, where I was talking about this, but yeah, I did read uh, something. I think maybe it was, uh, I saw Chuck Klosterman say this somewhere where it was like, you know, 80% of adult Americans are not even on Twitter. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. And, and really, for the most part, have, you know, could not care less about what goes on on Twitter. But for the 20% of people that are on Twitter, it is, you know, way more. Their sole source of news. I mean, obviously, you, you know, link out to like a New York Times article from Twitter, but like, you're finding it. I mean, when do you go to like ESPN.com anymore or New York Times.com or CNN.com or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever? Like, never because you're just, you know, you get your news, you follow people, and then you sort of click from there, or sometimes you don't even click. Also, like, where, I, I, what's crazy is I'll meet a news junkie who's not on Twitter once in a while. Mm-hmm. And, like, what do you do? Do you, like, go to every website and look for the news? Do you, like, read a hard copy of the newspaper? I don't, I don't understand how like, <laughs> don't people know. get their news not from Twitter. And usually the answer yeah. is Facebook. People say, like, facebook so they're getting a lot of fake news also yeah i'm gonna say that i'm gonna um if if your twitter stock is so low i'm gonna buy i'm gonna buy low on twitter i mean here's the deal twitter literally has to be sold for like they they need some new eyes on this right somebody who knows what they're doing i think is gonna be able to save twitter if zook spies twitter i bet he could figure it out i was listening to gary v on a podcast recently and he was talking about what twitter needs to do to come back because they've lost a lot of ground he was saying and he was like, he always says he was an early investor, but um, I don't know if he still has money in it or not. Yeah. Um, uh, I also said that I'd rather eat Poppy's pizza, even knowing his hygiene issues, before I would eat Kramer's cucumber pizza. <laughs> I still hold, I still stand by that. Yeah. Rob got in on the hot take action. You defended Poppy for not washing his hands. Think he's part of an older generation from the old country. He's not part of a generation that scrubs into work <laughs> like some kind of brain surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I was getting at there. Might have been uh, a little face on that. Yeah, I was anti-Melon in an episode. I still stand by that. Melon stinks. Mm-hmm. Um, in the pool guy, Liz wrote in an, a reader hot take. She said that independence is for single people. It was in reference to George complaining about Susan killing independent George. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. And people that don't have kids also. <laughs> right. Single, right. People say single, but if you have a wife and there's no kids involved, you could still go anywhere. You could do yeah. anything. Um. Mm, I don't know. It's not our wives holding us back. It's the fact that like our wives like spend most of the time with our kids so we feel bad about it well that no my wife gets mad uh and and says like uh what are you doing why are you leaving right why are you doing anything fun because uh, you know how come uh you know it's it's really you know i mean they're single people like they're not single they're like married people that kids like go on vacations with their wives Hmm. like that sounds insane yeah I can't even, like, I'm sure I did that at one point in my life, but I can't even remember it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, what about uh, your hot take from only a week ago? Yeah, I said that no couple should sleep in the same room. I did get at least one email from somebody saying that they agree that they um, don't sleep in the same room. I won't, I guess I won't say their name just in case they don't want to use it. Um, and uh, they also said another key thing that I didn't think about is separate bathrooms are crucial. Yeah. No, I've always had that with my wife. Yeah, and also, like, yeah, no no woman wants to share a bathroom with you. And, like, the average woman I know, and that's only one woman, my wife, there's, like, 8,000 hair products. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many, like, that's the, the whole bathroom is just, like, bottles of stuff that's probably never used. Mm-hmm. Like, do you ever count that stuff? Like, if she had to rebuy, that's, like, $1,000 of, like, oh, easy. just bottles of shampoo easy. and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um... Uh, yeah, so those are some of the hot takes. Good job there, Falconer. We're back on the right track here. <laughs> Good work. Yeah, I, no, I, we always, even when it's uh, knocking us, we always appreciate the hard work. Yeah. Um, no, uh, my wife's uh, bathroom is a disaster. 
Yeah. You know? the, I mean, you'll always hear her like talk about like, oh, you make such a mess. I'm telling you, you know, like take a look at my workspace and then take a look at what my bedroom and my bathroom look like. And then you tell right. me I mean, who is the messy one out of the two of us. Like I have a toothbrush, maybe if I don't like accidentally use my wife's or my kids or something, a toothbrush, uh, like shampoo, some soap, some other thing that I don't even know what it is. And then I probably accidentally use the kid's soap. <laughs> I shower that my glasses and I'm legally blind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Johnny DeSavera says, how did the writers expect the viewers to believe it was an indoor tennis court when there were clearly puddles everywhere? Oh, Johnny. I mean, really? Yeah, I didn't notice them until the, the readers started writing comb. in. comb. Yeah. Well, listen, that's how Johnny, that's the type of comb Johnny uses. Okay. Caleb from Atlanta wants to know, do you think this episode started the whole issue of catfishing? Where, where does catfishing come up in this episode? Oh, with, Vin, with no, Vincent? Vincent with Elaine. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the first catfish was. Like, did yeah. somebody write like on a, like a wall, like in hieroglyphics, like, uh, you know, my name is really, you know, I don't know. And, and, and it was like, it's in Egypt, like ancient Egypt. It was catfishing. I bet mm-hmm. there was. I, I don't think this quantifies as a catfish. It sort of does. You think so? I mean, yeah. I mean, he's, he's claiming to be, like, I guess he's using the right name, but like he's claiming to be that he knows that she doesn't know how old she is. Mm-hmm. Sure. How old I he mean, is. But yeah. there is no like employee photo that he is like using somebody else's picture. Right. But he's like, he's definitely, you know, using it to his advantage that she doesn't know. I mean, Elaine is lucky she doesn't end up like uh, getting picked up on like some sort of like a um, to catch a predator type charge. Yeah, she could be on a list for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. What about uh, Craig from Vancouver? He loves uh, another point for Milos because in the CFL, there's a, there was a kicker named Chris Milo. Whenever he'd kick a field goal, an extra point or like a loony or a toony, I think they have also in there. Uh, what's the thing? There's like a there's another thing where it's like a one point kick or a two point kick in the CFL. Anyway, him and his dad would say another point for Milo. OK, right. oh. what Dan the benefactor? Dan the benefactor says, I used to work at Blockbuster and though we didn't have a pick wall. Customers did often ask for tips on movies to watch. Circa 2001, the non-mainstream movie I always recommended to people was Arlington Road. And of the few people I convinced to watch it, I vividly remember one of them coming back on my shift to tell me how much she hated it. I was unmoved, though. I won't dumb down my picks for the Bonehead Mass audience. I assure you, Gene doesn't care what Elaine thinks about him either. Have you seen Arlington Road? Yes, in fact... Um, I, I rented it from a blockbuster with my friends. We went to some like rich kid's house. Did it make you top 100? No, it had, he had a big theater and it was really comfortable and I fell asleep watching Arlington Road. Yeah. Arlington Road, a 62% on the tomato meter. It was fine. It was fine. There's just like a big conspiracy. Nothing is as it's about the moon. I don't remember. Was Alex Jones and Joe Rogan buddy cops? I don't, I don't think that I, I forget who the star of Arlington Road is, but. Again, I fell asleep during part of it, but um, yeah, um, I'm trying to see. Um, I see that it, like what the plot is, but I don't know who is in it. Can't really tell. It's like nobody, nobody too big. Uh, so, oh, yeah. starring Jeff Bridges, Tim Robbins, Hope Davis, uh, and Joan Cusack. Okay, so some big names. Uh, Lindsay asks if we have any good stories of buying something we didn't need. I guess you're hmm. talking about the tennis racket. A salesperson one time convinced her to buy some real expensive clothing. And as she walked to pay, um, she became certain that it was a really terrible, terrible decision. So when the cash, uh, cashier stepped away for a second to answer the phone, she put the clothes on the counter and ran out of the store. It was very smooth. Hmm. I'm trying to think of 
buying something I didn't need. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, practical to a fault, I feel like, with this stuff. So I don't think I tend to buy too much stuff that I don't need. Uh, sometimes I buy the wrong thing, but uh, I don't have anything great I ha- you. I have, one, I have one thing. Yeah, what's that? When I go to the doctor, which is pretty rare, but like the doctor, because I haven't been there in five years, will like give me some kind of medication, like a prescription for it. I will always buy it and I will never use the medicine more mm. than once. And my yeah. wife doesn't even like, like, she'll always be, you know, at this point, she'll say, don't, it's like, you know, it's a lot of money sometimes. Like, don't, don't get the medicine. First of all, she doesn't want me to get better. It's in her financial best interest for me not to get better. <laughs> but she's like, don't, don't get the medicine if you're never going to use it. And it's true. I have so many of these like old medications that doctors gave me and they have like weird names. Like you don't know what they are. You have to Google them that literally like, I don't even know what they're from. Like I have a whole drawer of like unused medicine. Yeah. But then, this is the opposite of that. I mean, you're, uh, I guess. No, because I'm being talked into buying something I didn't need or I needed, but I'm not going to use. Upsold though. Yeah. I, well, I didn't like not buy the generic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to go what pick up you? a prescription uh, for my wife and also one for my kid the other day. And it was uh, re- really just spent a long time waiting around in a Rite Aid for uh, these prescriptions to get filled. You Terrible. can't call them in first and then show up? No. Well, the thing was that my wife was sick and also the baby was sick. And so it was sort of like the, the, that we need these we need this medicine urgently. And then mm-hmm. it was the first time at the uh, Rite Aid with her prescription. So I had to wait around. And I felt like I did not get a accurate, um, you know, amount of gratitude. Like it was really mm-hmm. very, it was very inconvenient, a very long time. And I felt like it was not like, oh, my God, thank you so, so much. Your two-year-old son didn't really appreciate no, well, it. No, my wife, you. my wife, <laughs> and she seemed a little annoyed about the whole issue of me suggesting that I, you know, that the thanks I felt like was not. I right, see so you. You're saying this, but you know that you're, that you're being ridiculous here. I, I don't even think that she said thank you. No, but I, you know that like you're 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 just playing this off to her. This is like you know that she's not going to thank you for like getting medicine for your child. If if somebody did me any favor, I really feel like mm-hmm. I go out of my way. Oh, thank you so much. That was a big favor. Mm-hmm. I mean, she does you a favor every day by like not kicking you out of the house. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing of like not making me leave the house. That's the only I mean, is that that she gets a pat on the back for that? No, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll you know, my wife doesn't work. So I, I could try that with like, mm-hmm. you know, at least thank me for working. But it never worked. Yeah. OK. Um, what about Mike? Uh, it says, uh, did the writers get the idea for the coma plot following Jack Columbus's totally true story about being in a coma before the filming of the previous episode? Yeah, that's a good one. Um. <laughs> Well, the episodes were out of order, right? I mean, the coma was, was on their the mind. production schedule was off. Yep, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Uh, then uh, Pat in Ohio says, uh, one of the items Vincent requests Elaine to get for him is cigarettes, but it was already established when she went out with Keith Hernandez. She doesn't like smokers. Why do you think she would make an exception in this case? Um, yeah, it's a good question, right? I, I, I guess like she likes the bad boys. Maybe mm-hmm. she could wean him off this, this- I mean, yeah. it's cigarettes, not cigars also. It's a good point. Right. But Vincent is a tortured artist mm-hmm. and uh, that, she, you know, he's brooding. He needs cigarettes. Part of his image. Yeah. But Keith Hernandez is like he's an artist in a different way. And he, he should, you know, she shouldn't really write Look, him off. For the you are forgetting that was five years ago for Elaine. This is, you know, a thirsty, desperate Elaine. She can overlook the cigarette smoking five years later. That's a good point. Keith Hernandez is the one that got away. Yeah. <laughs> okay what about amir all right amir says kramer claims that he didn't know that it was possible to come out of a coma however 
back in the suicide in season three, Jerry and Kramer discuss how long you need to wait before taking a coma victim stuff. Kramer says I'd give 24 hours to get out of it. Can't get out of 24 hours. It's a land rush. And that episode even ends with Martin waking up from his coma. So that's a good point. But again, Kramer, if, if we're going to go with the theory that Kramer's a drug dealer, you know, yeah. his memory might be pretty shoddy. He may not remember that. Again, that's five years ago at this point. That's very possible. Um, uh, Amir says there's no way George could have a comeback to his wife's in a coma, right? There's no possible way to come back from that. I disagree. Yeah. Listen to the first hour of the podcast. Yeah. You already know at this point. You've been, yeah. you've been shot down. Uh, I love George's question of because of society, right? To me, that's essentially Larry David and the entire show's premise in a nutshell. It's the idea that there are things that you can say or do that may be somewhat justifiable in a vacuum. However, there are larger, larger societal implications that dictate what we consider to be right and wrong. I feel like this question can be asked at some point in every episode. It is true. The way he says society, it's like, oh, that's something the other people care about, not yeah. us. Not the well, oh, because we we're living in a society, right? Right. Yeah. And you could see society being in quotes. Sure. <laughs> All right. Finally, Chester is back. He wants to know, why is Milos wearing a sweater while playing tennis? That is insane. How do you think how do you think Chester is a tennis? Do you think he's a good tennis player? I think he's a good player. I mean, I don't think that he is uh playing what what did they say he played in the basketball team? Something bench. Him, like, yeah. Captain captain of the bench. <laughs> captain of the bench. Yeah. I bet Chester is probably a very accomplished tennis player. Right, because he is like that like upper class fancy vibe yes. to him. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think so. I feel like he's but he's but he's not good. Like he probably has an expensive racket. Uh, and like got like a hundred dollar an hour lessons when he was a little kid. Good, but not great. Okay. Um, and I think the fact that it's January in New York is probably the reason why Milos is wearing a sweater. Right, and it's outside. The actor probably just didn't <laughs> want to wear like a short sleeve t shirt. Right, in the middle of a rainstorm. Okay. Uh, you couldn't buy fireworks legally in New York in 1997. Where did Elaine go to buy them? Pennsylvania. Although I guess it's possible where George flies to Ohio just to zing a guy. It's not impossible. I think you forget that Elaine frequents a bodega which hosts cockfights. Yeah, and I'm seems sure to the go there on a bodega. daily basis. No doubt. No, they, they could they could they'll get you fireworks. You could find fireworks. Is Chester asking because he wants the narc on them? <laughs> big people. I don't know why he, he's going to like them, Chester I, is looking for fireworks in New York. I don't think so. He's not a big fireworks guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally does shellback's assistant tell kramer where his tennis lesson is or is there only one place to play tennis in the small town of manhattan very good point uh why does kramer go to shellback instead of jackie anyway shouldn't the script have at least have kramer mention yeah jackie won't take my calls right now i mean i think they did yeah very so i left mentioned. this in to make to make chester look stupid but i i told chester like i'm gonna make you look stupid on the podcast because you asked the question where there's an obvious answer to because Kramer clearly says in the episode that Jackie Charles has a restraining order out, right? Oh, so what is he saying? Uh, and he, he, why doesn't he call him on the phone? No. Chester said, I watched the episode in syndication and that is cut out of it. Oh, well, that's what you get. <laughs> yeah. Get so you got to watch the DVDs are bust, buddy. <laughs> Did you watch the deleted scene, Keeve? Yes, the deleted scene is interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's uh, deleted for a reason. Could you set up yeah. the dream sequence deleted scene? So I guess George is in Monk's imagining what maybe he should have said uh, towards the beginning of the episode after the jerk store line. And he imagines, uh, you know, after the ocean's running a shrimp line, he imagines himself wearing the jerk store line. And they show this sort of like sequence of him actually doing it in this fantasy. And of course, in the fantasy, he's not bald. He's got the wig again, or he's got. 
real hair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he says, and he says, like, what's the difference? Uh, you know, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. He says, and the office goes bananas. They give him the World- Yankees World Series championship <laughs> trophy because it's such a great joke. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, the the women are all over him, and then he sort of pops back into reality. And then, like, he's leaving Monks, and the waitress says, you don't have hair, you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he sort of, like, comes out of the dream, and then, yeah. uh, like, it, it's like Inception. He's still in the dream, and then uh, comes out of it. So it, it is kind of crazy. He's, like, carried off the field like Rudy, uh, you know, at the end of the telling the joke. Um, you know, but again, deleted for a reason. This is a real near-perfect episode. Yeah, it's pretty, it is, yeah. Um, that, it doesn't, it just takes away that it's seen. It doesn't really add anything. Right. Okay. So, Keeve, talk to me about next week. What are we watching? All right. I'm um, flashing the number eight. You can't see it, but we got the Van Buren boys. The Van Buren uh, boys coming up next. Yeah. Jerry's dating a loser. <laughs> uh, Kramer, you know, runs with the Van Buren boys. We're going to have uh, a lot of fun with the Van Buren boys. Okay. All right. So, excited to talk about the plight of the Van Buren boys coming up next week on the podcast of course uh what else well you got 32 fans 32 fans uh this week we ranked all the sports cities we ranked um sports cities chester ranked uh every sports city in america by how good it is using very strange metrics that nobody knows what he was talking about <laughs> yeah but, uh, how'd it come people, out? i mean no uh, people like what's that how'd it come out i mean it was good it was good i just don't understand like what was it like where you want to live he didn't seem to include like the you know, like, the, does it matter if it's like a good climate or like a fun place to live? It was weird. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, we put a lot of work into it. That was good. And next week, we're ranking the uh, 138 best movies of 2016. 138 best movies. We're not of- we're not actually ranking them. I, we just have a friend who has the 138 rings. So we're going to talk about some of them. Not all of them. OK. Wow. Uh, is that just the list of all the movies Chester has seen this year? No, Chester hasn't seen any. We have a friend named Av who's a huge movie guy who sees like a movie a day. Or every other day, and he and he saw 138 movies, and he ranked them, and he had like a whole list, and and you know I I sort of like you know uh, circled the interesting ones, and we talked about them. We already recorded; it was good. 138 movies that came out in 2016. He saw 138 movies that came out in 2016. So he saw other movies that didn't even come out in 2016. I'm sure. Yeah, I could ask him how many other movies he saw, but he really like made it his goal. Listen, and he's got. By the way, props to him. He's got like a wife and kids also. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He said he did. We asked them. How does he go to the like? How does he see them? And he actually goes to the movies himself a lot. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I'm interested. Uh, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Good. Saves me some time. I don't have to go see a lot of those movies now. Well, that's what I did. I sort of waited for his list, and then I'm like, I'm not anything that didn't make his top fifty. I'm not. I don't need to bother seeing. Forget and it. I sort of watched all the movies in his top fifty over Forget the last it. few months. Keith, I actually went to the movies myself uh, this week. By yourself, literally? No, I took my son. I went to go see Lego Batman. Oh, how was that? See, I have I have daughters. I don't think they'd care about like yeah. Batman. And you don't how was it? You don't like Batman either. I'm okay. I've seen Bat like I saw Batman and Robin. Like I would I would watch it if my kids. Yeah, I thought it, it was fun. I think it's it's a very fun movie. They saw like a trailer for it on like a YouTube commercial, and they're like, "Oh, that looks horrible." Yeah. So I don't my son was really very much over being at the movies after about thirty minutes. Though he's like, "Should we leave?" There should be like a a kids version of the movie. I do think with like TV shows and like you know all this like short attention span thing an hour and a half is a big ask for a young kid it's a big ask so what's the kids movie theater so there's like movie theater seats in the front and then like a playground in the back like indoor play around in the back or you or you condense the movie to like 50 minutes yeah okay that's fine like give us like the 15 minute version because like annoying did you leave in the middle like it's an it's sad no, to leave a movie I in the middle to see it yeah yeah and it was good how many stars do you give it 
I give it four stars. I mean, there, there were like 10 people at the IMAX movie showing. So we just like went off to the side. And I gave him my phone. He's watching like YouTube videos on my phone while mm. I'm watching the rest of the movie. So you don't have to worry about it lighting up the theater because there's not a lot of people in the theater. Yeah, we were so far away from where everybody else was. Let me ask you, IMAX LA 2017, 25 bucks a ticket? Um, well, I saw a 11.15 in uh, the morning showing. So I think, it was, I don't know. It was like, I think that the movie was at 11.15. I feel like the ticket was like 11.15. It was very, it was very close to. Oh, really? The ticket was only 11 bucks? That's not bad. Again, I think if you go before noon, I think that there's a reduced. What do you do for snacks? Uh, just some popcorn and, uh, he got M&M's. You share the popcorn. Or you got your own. You each got no, your we own. shared the popcorn, and and honestly, he was kind of a, a douche about it. Yeah, I like, uh, <laughs> like I was trying to eat the popcorn. He's like, he's like, uh, hey, like, I, like I paid for this. Yeah, that's tough. I, kids aren't good at sharing food if yeah. they like it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that. All right. So uh, again, big thanks to uh, Mike Moore, still on Cloud Nine about the uh, big Super Bowl win. He should be over it by now. Come on, Mike. You've got to be on to 2017. Get over Bill it, Bill Mike. Turn the page. Can't be living in the past. He's already thinking about week one of the preseason. Yeah. We're on, we're on to Seattle. Okay. Uh, and then also, big thanks as always to Scott St. Pierre, the MVP of the Seinfeld Post Show Recap, editing away at all of the Seinfeld uh, podcasts that we do and counting down the weeks until the finale. No, he listen, he's he's excited for uh, he wants us to continue. Round he two? wants us to go back <laughs> round two, start from episode one. <laughs> all right. Well, uh great stuff. Of course you can follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve26. I'm at Rob Sisterino. Take care everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.